1: That is true. It is inside the clubhouse right here on 670. The score, the Cubs lose in 10 innings in St. Louis. The White Sox win against Cleveland have now won five in a row. Five and 0 on a seven-game homestand. Break them up. Break up the White
2: Sox. Yeah,
1: Bruce Levine, what do you think? Let's
2: go. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm good. It's great to be here on another Saturday morning hour late, but we still have two full hours of baseball talk for you. At 312-644-6767, you can find Matt and myself interactive with you all, program long, text Matt at 67011. Guests today include manager Terry Francona of the Cleveland Indians, draft expert and minor league and, well, really any type of young player expert, Jim Callis from MLB.com joining us as well. And it is fun to be here with you, Matt. By the way, Inside the Clubhouse brought to you by Max and Benny's in Northbrook, your home for the best food in Chicagoland. Here's the checklist. The best deli, yes. The best restaurant, full service, indeed. The best bakery on the North Shore, without a doubt. Dinners from 4 to 9 p.m. at Max and Benny's feature full meals of roast beef, chicken, and the freshest white fish, fish and salmon in the city, Bakery goods to die for include sugar cookies, mandel bread, home baked Bialis and bagels, rye bread at Max and Five Private party yes, rooms sir. and business meeting area, 10 to 150. Catering is king at Max and Benny's. Ask for John at Max and 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Uh, my friend Matt Spiegel can't wait to go to Max and Benny's today. <laughs> I love you some Max and Benny's in Northbrook. Love the
1: Kreplach. Love the 5-0 start to this White Sox homestand. It is, it is an adorable, tempting distraction from the larger matters of the rebuild and what you're actually trying to do on the grand scale. To look at this incredibly mediocre American League and say, oh, boy, are the White Sox a legit team in the American League? But you did the math, Bruce. There's, what, seven teams that you think are better than them?
2: You just took a dump on the White Sox.
1: I didn't mean to. You did. You just. I didn't mean to. (laughs) Enjoy (laughs) it. Enjoy the wins and everything. But, like, this American League is brutal. You you
2: had a run to that the league stinks. You can't just be happy with one game under 500. Wow. Now you're tied painting, with the Indians,
1: painting me as a guy who takes dumps on the White Sox. Thanks,
2: pal. No, I mean, I mean, you couldn't wait to get there. Honestly, I mean, you, you're being fair about it. The, the <laughs> league, the league does stink, but um, the White Sox don't stink as much as the other teams. That's what you're saying here, and I, you know, I think that's that's a fair way to look at it. Now, the White Sox will tell you that they're playing good ball that their, their most important young players are starting to get better and that uh, starting pitching is starting to come around. When you get a Manny Benuelos good start, then you get a Covey good start to go along with Lopez Soso and Lito all-star caliber. You know, you have some things that are going right. Giolito is the full-on ace. He is going to be the
1: ace of this staff. He already, he's pitching like a one or a two around all of baseball. He goes tomorrow against Dan Plesak's nephew, Zach Plesak of of the Indians. That's entertainment. Yeah, right? Um, you know, some very important players are playing well. This is this is absolutely true. Aloy Jimenez with a great catch out there in left field. Tim Anderson doing what he does. Um, it, it's it, it's just that I I don't believe in a Dylan Covey or a, or, or a Manny Benuelos in terms uh, of, of long-term. But by the time you get to next year, this team should feel very, very good about itself come spring.
2: And, and what you mentioned is a key element of this progression toward being very good, and that is there is plenty of space between the bad teams in the American League And the six or so good teams. I mean, again, you count the three American League East teams, Boston, Tampa, and the Yankees. Boston hasn't played up to it. They're only one game over 500. After almost 60 games, they still have plenty to prove in their bullpen. But those three should be there at the end. You have the Minnesota Twins, who are by far the superior team in the American League Central. And then you have the West with Houston, You know, one of the top two or three teams in all of baseball, and then everybody else. So the White Sox are right there with that rest of that group. Now, is the arrow pointing up, middle, or down? That's what you look at with the rest of those nine teams or so in the American League that they're dealing with. And where are the White Sox in that group? I think that's an interesting conversation.
1: And it's good for them to feel like they can win every night. It's good for them to see that they can go out and feel like they have a chance every single night and see results and know that when certain bullpen guys come in, Juan Mania last night, very good, again, when Alex Colomay comes in, that they know, all right, yeah, we're going to finish this one off. That's healthy for the young guys. In
2: 2014, when Ricky Renteria was the manager of the Cubs, they were a very bad team the year before under Dale Swain. Ricky's charge was to come in and get some of those young guys motivated, get him going better. Uh, having Castro and Rizzo coming off of bad years had much better years. That was essential. And they were over 500 the last 50 games of 2014, going into John Lester coming in, mm-hmm. coming into uh, you know the other parts of the equation as far as player development and trades that were working out for them. Then 2015 occurred. The White Sox are kind of close to what was going on with the Cubs in 2014 and maybe a step or two above, depending on how you project their young pitchers coming back next year from injury.
1: My the, the perspective that I'm coming from is that it's possible to appreciate many good things that are going on right now at this point in the rebuild and still not get lost in this possibility that they can contend in the American league. I, right. I don't think that they can contend, even if they were to somehow sneak into a wild card. i like, they're not good enough to they really compete every day it. with 10 teams, that, that, which is great. Yeah. Which, which is very nice. And it's, right. it's, it's better than perhaps you expected. And there's lots of storylines that make them interesting.
2: Well, the good right news now. is they don't play the American league league East or West all that often. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you have your division, where you're starting to claim yourself as equal or better to every team in your division, other than the Minnesota Twins. Yeah,
1: right before this five-game homestand was a, that ugly sweep in Minnesota in the other direction. It's the Indians who I think we all figured were somehow going to be better than this, even though they didn't spend, even though they didn't attack the off-season. It's very odd the way they're doing business. Well, frankly. and
2: uh, Terry Francona will be with us uh, to. Talk about the Indians, the division in the American League, at um, ten. Uh, at, I'm sorry, at eleven ten today. Uh, Jim Callis of MLB.com uh, will be joining us to talk the draft at ten. Thirty. I'm getting. I think I'm right. You know, it's it's I'm, confused Joe, with this extra it's, it's hour gambling, difference man.
1: here. It's all it's all the gambling, and yeah. I think Joe Ostrowski now living in Springfield uh, to cover this internal uh, gambling debate. And 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 you know we, we start an hour late, understandably so. This hour in the score is brought to you by the Grand Geneva Resort and Spa, home of the Brute and the Highlands Championship Golf Courses, GrandGenevaGolf.com. Um, a lot of the baseball media world this morning, Bruce, buzzing with a Kenny Rosenthal piece on the Athletic about how the Cubs are showing renewed interest in Craig Kimbrell and some of the reasoning is based on stuff that you've been reporting for a long time that that if Ben Zobris does not come back this sudden financial flexibility of the 8.6 million I believe it is becomes a factor in what they can do immediately in terms of this season.
2: It's prorated every day. 180 days, divided by the 12 million dollar contract, so you can anybody can do the math with that. Go ahead and do it. Uh, so it is somewhere about eight, between eight and nine million dollars right now. And um, when you talk about Kimbrell, you talk about a potential Hall of Fame closer that was not very good at the end of 2018 on a World Championship team. You remember. Chris Sale on the mound as the last pitcher mm-hmm. for the Red Sox before they closed it out uh, this year in the World Series. Last year in the World Series. So, what do you have in Craig Kimball? You you have a power arm that's missing from the Chicago Cubs. Uh, no doubt, many teams would like him, but you know the intel is that he's still been asking for a three year contract. Uh, Kenny's piece said, you know, it could be three years, thirty nine million. I was hearing that he was still asking for three years at $50 million. Uh This year would have to be prorated, considering that he's already missed two months. But at June
1: 2nd um, is when these guys become available. After this weekend, after the draft, these guys become available without having to pay the compensation of a draft pick. Uh, do you expect Keuchel and Kimbrell to both get signed next week?
2: I don't know about next week, but you know, relatively soon if teams are... Are interested again? Um, why, why have they dropped for so long? And the, the answer is that there was such a distance between what the player thinks he's worth and mm-hmm. what teams are really interested in paying. Now will that peak up? Now that you're starting to see the teams with their great needs. I mean, I you know I wrote a story on six seventy thescorecom score dot com this week, Matt, about the fact that. Uh, there were seven teams watching Kansas City in the White Sox. Now there's another six or seven scouts uh, watching uh, the Indians in the White Sox. And their major concentration, 80% of it, is on closers that may be available. Column A, and, uh, you know, Kansas City has, uh, you know, a guy like uh, Ian Kennedy. These are the guys that people are looking at and saying, you know what? We're not waiting until July 31st. We have to get started earlier, and I think you're going to start to see some deals in June that you'd normally see in early July.
1: It's been an informational and kind of emotional journey in terms of the Cubs' interest in Kimbrel or not starting in the offseason and then extending all the way here until his his lengthy free agency in the middle of a regular season, and now here we are with new fires lit. I continue to have doubts about what kind of pitcher Kimbrel is these days based on what you were talking about last year and stuff and how long it's going to take for him to rev right. it back up. Agree like, with you. But every time that uh, th- that there is a continued failure – in a big moment, late game in the bullpen for the Cubs.
2: Like last night. Like
1: last night, where Dylan Maples is entrusted in a spot of in the 10th inning and walks two guys. I know the first one was controversial. The second one was not when he walked Jerko on four pitches right after the, the call that could have been strike three. So you've got that. And every time you look down and see, like, oh, let's see Brad Brock. Well, he's blown one. Steve c Well, he's blown one. Uh, Pedro Strop's not back yet, but he's blown a couple. Uh, there's Maples. I can't trust him to throw
2: a strike. Or they've blown 50% of their save opportunities. Major league average is usually 75 to
1: 85%. And and they just came out of Houston where you saw that right. pitching staff that makes people swing and miss at historic rates. Right. And the Cubs are at the other end of the spectrum in terms of bullpen. The desperation has grown for a swing and miss arm in the back end of that bullpen. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, uh, I think desperate is an interesting term because you may be right. You may be right. It's desperation. They don't want to purport that it's desperate because you don't want to go into any type of conversation or move uh, feeling that you have to make this particular move. You you lose all of your leverage when you do things like that. Um, the Cubs have a very solid group of veteran bullpen guys. I don't think there's any question about that used in the way they want to be used, used in the way that Madden would like to use them. I think they're going to continue to be very effective. But that piece is certainly missing at the end, without a doubt. Um, Maples doesn't get into that game last night if you have a lockdown closer. Now, because even if the closer pitched in the ninth inning in a tie game, you still have the guys that you used in the ninth moved on to the 10th mm-hmm. and 11th inning. Yes. Yeah, C gets in there right away instead of right. in a desperate so, move you know, to Maples, to say. Maples was, that was in a, a Joe Madden experiment that he felt he had to make. And I think it was, the message was to Maples. The message was to the front office. The message was to everyone watching that, Hey, we got this big arm here. He strikes people out. He walks people. Nobody hits him. Uh, this is a time to put your big boy pants on and show us what you can do. And I have no problem and with he, that choice. Right. And and he actually probably did have the first guy struck out. Unfortunately, it wasn't called by Laz Diaz. And it was a walk, the next walk. And now, as Joe said after the game, you have a guy feeling bad about himself when he sh- really shouldn't feel that way. But the point is, Joe is telling everybody, if this is the big arm we have, we got to find out if we can use him now. And if it costs us a baseball game, so be it, because I can't continue to use all these other guys in these positions. We need more.
1: This is what your front office told you in the in the preseason, is that they were going to cycle through guys and find the people who were capable in having a good year. And they've already used 15 different guys out of the bullpen. Right. I, barring going to Carl Edwards in a tough situation, and, and that's you know very much my perspective, and I don't know if it's Joe's anymore, but other than that, there's nothing he could try that I would look at and say, That's ridiculous, because you gotta find out if Dylan Maples can be that guy. I want to see Tyler Chadwood right. in those kind of spots. I, if James Norwood comes back, that's an arm I wanna I'm, see given a chance. My
2: only difference of opinion is you don't bring him on with a winning run at second base. Because of his wildness. Just because he's he is who he is. He's a young kid. You know, give him a clean inning if that's how you feel about it, and go. Uh, but again, it's easy for me to second guess. I understand Joe's intent. He is in player dev- development as well as trying to win ball games. Mm. Player development means that you can take these guys and help you win on a championship team with a young arm. But uh, again, the bullpen is in need of that lockdown closer if they can find
1: you got to find out if if those guys have the stones to handle the moments now let's take take
2: one call before we uh, hit a break
1: this is mike downtown on 670 the
0: score what do you say mike appreciate the conversation very much and mike biggest question Bruce, is your uh view is is the Sox look for the the huge number three draft pick and there is conversation about abrams you may have seen, but there was an excellent article in The Athletic this week by James Fagan interviewing uh, Rick Hahn, uh, and much of the focus was asking difficult questions about the Sox player development program. The inference in the questions, and absolutely in the comments to the interview, was the Sox player development program remains poor. Uh, do you see it that way? And and what are the implications of a mediocre to poor player development program drafting a guy like C.J. Abrams?
2: Well, C.J. Abrams, and we'll we'll be talking to uh, Jim Callis about him as a possible draft this year. Young uh, shortstop coming out of Georgia, uh, White Sox draft number three is a uh, potential. But uh, when you start looking at whether or not they develop or not, Matt. Uh, Tim Anderson is the most uh, visible guy that they've recently developed. Um I think it goes back more to develop to scouting as well as development when you talk about do you develop enough players in an organization? You know, you know um, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean you look at you look at uh, some of their drafts o- over the last 20 years or 25 years and um they're not too good. You know, the the players It's not like a lot of them went to another organization and did well somewhere else. They just weren't developed. They weren't scouted. These weren't the the right players to sign as your number one draft pick.
1: I think we all know by now that when teams undergo this kind of overhaul, as we watched happen with the Cubs and Theo and everybody had to modernize. This is what the White Sox have had to do over the past three years is modernize development, modernize informational systems, everything. And in talking to Nick Hosteller, he was here in the studio last week for, for Hit and Run He works hand-in-hand with Chris Goetz, the director of player development. And Hostetler's title is amateur scouting. But every hand is on deck here as they work through this. And if Hostetler drafts a guy, he's talking to Goetz every week about what are they doing with the guy? How are they developing the guy? They're figuring this stuff out as they go.
2: And Hostetler also said on uh, Wednesday when he talked to us in the media, I know he talked to you last week on your show here Mm -hmm. on Hit and Run on Sundays. By the way, don't miss it. Tomorrow at 9 o'clock uh Jason Benetti in the studio with my, your friend uh Matt Spiegel. Um the uh w- when you uh, when you talk about the White Sox draft, he says it's collective. That means Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn, Hostetler, uh and metrics people as well as mm. Getz, you know, um assistant general manager. But uh the White Sox have uh have picked it up over the last four or five years as far as adding to the metrics department, much like the Cubs did before their rebuild and into their rebuild from 2014 till now.
1: They're working in the right direction. I think there's still some more stuff that has to be done, uh, but they're working in the right direction, that's for sure. It's 670 The Score. It's Inside the Clubhouse. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. When we come back, we'll talk to Jim Callis from MLB.com about the MLB draft, which is upcoming this weekend. Keep it right here on 670 The Score. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Nothing beats championship hockey, and your Chicago Wolves have advanced to the Calder Cup Finals. The Wolves will host Charlotte next week at Allstate Arena. Enjoy free parking courtesy of Kia. For playoff information, visit
2: chicagowolves.com. MLB's MLB.com draft expert and young player expert Jim Callis joins us on inside the clubhouse it's on the
1: alpimonte ford hotline alpimonte ford 500 new and used vehicles to choose from
2: jim good morning uh, matt and bruce here to uh take some of your valuable minutes up and talk about <laughs> players that we think will be drafted by the teams maybe the white sox will draft either vaughn or abrams at number three what do you think
0: yeah, that's what it, it seems to be coming down to. I, I don't think you know they've made any final decisions. Um, you know, I don't think the Orioles are going to necessarily have it be known who they're taking um, until, and, and you know, maybe Monday afternoon. So like nobody else can really know for sure, uh, you know, what they're doing. But yeah, I, I think with the way the draft's going to go, I think Adley Rutschman and Bobby Wood Jr. are probably going to be the top two picks. And I think if that's the case then it would come down to CJ Abrams, high school shortstop from Georgia, and Andrew Vaughn, uh the first baseman from Cal, who's the best hitter in the draft. Um they, you know, kind of two different, very different types of players. It's just you know, which direction they want to go in.
2: Which uh give it give us uh like a thumbnail on Vaughn. Uh give us, you know, a, a couple ratings. Obviously, 20 through 80 is the the rating scale for players, eight be, 80 being the, you know, the very best player at that that position or the very strongest strength at that uh that particular area go ahead on Vaughn first
0: yeah on Vaughn and we try to be a little conservative and not go nuts on the grades for amateur players but i mean we've projected him as a 60 hitter 60 power which would probably be like a 280 30 home run guy. Um, and I, I think he might even hit for a higher average than that. I mean, this guy's just hit for three years at Cal. He was Golden Spikes Award winner, which is the college version of the Heisman last year. I mean, uh, if you're nitpicking these guys at the top, you know, maybe you wish he hit left handed. You wish he could play another position besides first. Although he, he has taken some grounders at third, and somebody may try him there. Um, you know, there's, you know, I think the only college first base right handed hitting first baseman who's ever gone the top five picks is David McCarty but I would say one is a very small sample size, and, um, you know, Andrew Vaughn's just a great hitter, so if they took him, um, you know, service time considerations always play a role, but, you know, in terms of when he'd be ready for the big leagues, he, he might be ready for the big leagues by the end of 2020. Um, you know, he, this guy is unquestionably the best here in the draft. You know, you're, you're getting a bat, and you're not getting a whole lot else. I mean, he's not a horrible athlete, but, you know, if there's a guy in this draft who's going to hit 300 with 30 home runs every year, it's probably Andrew Vaughn. The
1: The quickness of that readiness that you just mentioned is appealing for a team in the White Sox position. Uh, in terms of the high school shortstop, Abrams, give us a, a thumbnail on his skill set and
0: how
1: how long he might need in terms of development.
0: Yeah, I mean, he probably would take... I mean, he's he's fairly advanced hitter for a high school kid. But, you know, instead of, you know, one and a half years, I mean, you're probably looking at three and a half years. Uh, you know, I, I would hope for the White Sox stake, they aren't looking at service time considerations by the time C.J. Abrams would be ready. You know, I think he'd be ready, you know, maybe, you know, some point in 2022, you know, in the second half of the year. But, you know, he's got 75 or 80 speed. You know, it's pretty close to top of the scale speed. The um, left-handed hitter um solid hitter we put a 55 on his bat um and while he's not a big slugger i mean he's he's got some you know bat speed and some deceptive strength i mean i think you could be have a, a you know 12 15 home run guy maybe and you know the question i think is is does he play shortstop in the long term i mean he he's athletic he's not you know, it's not especially fluid infield actions. I, I think you could smooth them out. Whoever takes them will certainly try. And if it doesn't work out shortstop, then I think you, you have a slam dunk center fielder.
2: Has he been a just a baseball player th- since he was a young kid? Or has he been a multiple-sport guy? And then is the baseball gene questionable?
0: No, he's um he's played baseball. I mean, I don't, he, he may have dabbled with other sports, but he's not one of these two-sport pro- two prospects. I mean, he was... All over the showcase circuit last summer, he was at the Under Armour game at Wrigley um, that they put on every year. So he, um, he's been all over the place um, but, you know, doing the baseball stuff. So he's not, again, I mean, maybe he played basketball in the winter or something, I don't know. Um, but he's, he's been a baseball first guy for a long time.
1: Why has Bobby Witt Jr., and yes, that is the son of the former Rangers pitcher, and I believe the father is his agent as, as well, yep. um, why has Bobby Witt Jr. risen so clearly above Abrams in terms of the high school shortstops?
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't even necessarily say risen, because I think he's always been head of C.J. Abrams, and that's another knocking Abrams. I mean, people are talking about Bobby Witt <clears throat> the summer after his sophomore year in high school uh, as being a guy who is, you know, I, I think if Bobby Witt Jr. was in last year's draft, he would have gone you know, probably around the same range he's going this year, um, which is probably going to be two to the Royals. I mean, he would have been a top-five pick last year, too. It's just he, he's got more all-around tools. I mean, if, you, if you're comparing him to C.J. Abrams, you know, You know, C.J. Abrams probably is a little bit better contact hitter. Um, you know, Bobby Witt has a ton more power. Um, he's not as fast as C.J., but he's, he's a plus runner. So, I mean, I think with C.J. Abrams, you're hoping – you know maybe like a 270 you know you're hoping 12 home runs and you know maybe steals 25 30 bases you know Bobby Wood would be maybe more that that 260 you know 2020 player Homers and steals, but he's got a he's got a, a clearly a stronger arm than CJ Abrams. I mean, what's up to the mid nineties on the mound, and he's clearly a shortstop. I and mean, he's a plus shortstop. CJ Abrams, you're hoping can be you know an average shortstop in the long run, and maybe a little bit better. But that, that that's why it's he's he's got you know a, he's got a lot more power than CJ, and, and you're not worrying about him not playing shortstop.
2: Jim Callis, M- MLB draft expert for MLB.com, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Bobby Witt uh, again. Uh, when you said he's got arm speed at 95 miles per hour, hmm. could this be the next uh, guy that we're talking about as a two-way player? I know he hasn't thrown a pitched a, a heck of a lot, but with his background, his father being a great pitcher during his career, is is there that possibility for a team that drafts him that that is also uh, on on the table?
0: I don't think so because. Um, it's too hard to do both, really. For one, I mean, and even you know the guy who was drafted a couple of years ago with that intention, Brendan McKay with the Rays, mm-hmm. and I thought Brendan McKay was be- was going to be better as a hitter, and I was wrong because he's a lot better as a pitcher. And the Rays have a little bit of a dilemma. Well, and it's not going to be a dilemma because they're going to resolve it. But Brendan McKay's in AAA, dominating on the mound, ready to pitch in the big leagues, and he's barely hitting two hundred without a lot of power. So like they're going to get you. You're not going to wait around for. Brennan McKay's bad to catch up to his arm. You're just going to put Brennan McKay in the big leagues and let him pitch, and, you know, he's probably not going to hit. You know, he may pinch hit here or there, but, I mean, the two-way thing's going to kind of go by the wayside. And, and with Witt, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could maybe use him as a reliever or something, but he's just too valuable as an everyday shortstop. I don't think anybody's going to mess around with him pitching. Hey, and he's not mm-hmm. – it's arm strength. He's not raw, per se, but he's not this you know, polished guy who's you know, starting and pitching you know, seven innings once a week for Colleyville Heritage. It's just you know, he, he occasionally closes games. He pitched a little for Team USA in relief um, just because at his age, you know, his arm strength can overpower guys.
1: Hey, Jim, um, there have been a few college pitchers along the way who debuted in the pros. Mike Leak, Darren Dreifert, Jim Abbott. Uh, in recent years, we saw Brandon Finnegan of the Royals pitch in the College World Series. Four months later, he's in the pros in the playoffs. Chris Sale did it here in 2010. A little bit of minors, then to the bigs. Who are the college pitchers that could help teams right away in this draft, if anybody?
0: No one. <laughs> this, is, this, this is, we thought coming into the year that the college pitchers were down. I, I I sense a thought and I've asked people who've been around for a long time and they agree, they said the same thing. This is the worst group of college pitchers of first round quality in the thirty years I've been doing it. Wow. Um, there just aren't guys there. there. there's nobody who's gonna be that fast to the big leagues guy. I mean and what's interesting is you know, there's some good guys out there, you know, Nicola Dolo from TCU, the left hander is probably gonna be the first one taken. Um there's a Kentucky left hander named Zach Thompson. Couple college righties: Alec Manoa from West Virginia, Jackson Rutledge from San, San Jacinto Junior College, George Kirby from Elon. And to me, I mean, they're good pitchers, and those guys are first-round pitchers. But to me, in a normal draft, you'd be talking about those guys like in the middle of the first round. And I think there's you're going to see probably six position players go with the first six picks. And I think you're going to have a little panic to get these college pitchers, and they're probably all going to go off the board, and those, those five guys in the next six or eight picks, even though I think in a normal draft they kind of fit more in the middle. Um, and then there might be 15 or 20 picks before another college pitcher gets taken. take. I, I keep coming up with, when I do the first-round projections, there's 34 picks. I keep coming up with 23 hitters and 11 pitchers. Um, it, it's just it's not a good pitching draft. That said... On the
2: Jim Callis joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. He's Matt. I'm Bruce. We're here with you every week, normally from 9 to 11. Today, a little bit of a bonus. We're on until noon today. Uh, Jim, uh, Chicago Cubs draft number 27, kind of a crapshoot when you're down there. Uh, they're talking about a right-handed pitcher that may drop to him and Seth Johnson. Uh, who else do you see down there? And There's a, a kid shortstop from Clemson that's also being talked about.
0: Yeah, I mean – you know, it's not any secret, and the Cubs aren't hiding it either. I mean, they need pitching. They, you know, I think in a perfect world, they'd love to look up and find some pitching at 27 that they liked. Um, and it's like I said, it's just not a pitching year. I mean, they, they could go high school arm, I guess, if they wanted. But but the one college guy who might fit there at 27, who may or may not be available, um, is Seth Johnson from Campbell, and he's kind of fascinating because. A year ago this time, I'll admit, I hadn't even heard of the guy, and he was a shortstop, a light hitting shortstop at Lewisburg, North Carolina Junior College, He pitched six innings. Um, he transferred to Campbell. I think he's pitching today in the NCAA tournament. He, it didn't look like he pitched yesterday when I was looking at it last night. Um, I think he's pitching today, but I had one scout director tell me they thought he had the best um, delivery in the draft, um, and when he's on, he can hit 98 miles an hour wow. and have a plus slider. Now, you know, th- there's no... There's no history with this guy, which which scares people a little bit. I mean, you haven't seen him in the Cape Cod League. You haven't really seen him outside the Big South Conference. He, you know, for having that kind of arm, you know, hasn't – you know, he's, had a, he's been fine, but he hasn't, like, gone out and just destroyed the Big South Conference, which, you know, is a little bit less challenging than the major leagues are going to be. So he's kind of – you know, if, if you buy into the upside – you know, he could go higher than 27, and if you're worried about the track record, maybe he doesn't, and, you know, if they don't do that, I mean, there's going to be a run on college bats in the 20s, and I think the Cubs, you could just kind of put in there for, you know, one of the guys who gets to them, I mean, whether that's Greg Jones, who's a speedy shortstop from UNC Wilmington, Michael Bush, who's a first baseman, maybe an outfielder from North Carolina who's got power and discipline. Uh, Will Wilson's a really sweet-swinging sweet shortstop from NC State, who, who probably winds up being a second baseman in the long run. You know, Logan Davidson's interesting. That was the guy I projected in my last mock draft. He's got plus speed, raw power, and arm strength. He's got – it's dicey. He's hit in college. He's not hit with wood bats in the capes. So the guys are a little scared of him. And then Braden Shoemake from Texas A&M's another shortstop who's kind of a – unorthodox-looking guy, but he puts the bat on the ball. And maybe he wants to move into second, but he can really hit. I mean, its he's not too dissimilar from Nico Horner, who, who's looked great since they took him last year in roughly the same spot. So, no. I, I think if the draft broke perfectly for the Cubs, they'd love to find a pitcher they really like and take him at 27. But if you're looking at the strength of the draft – I think they're going to take a, probably wind up with a college infielder. And, and, and that would not be that like, oh, the Cubs, you know, know, they've had success taking bats and college bats in the first round. I think it's more just that's the way this draft is broken.
2: Hey,
1: Jim, last thing for you. Quinn Priester is a local high school kid from Cary Grove. He's been written and talked about a little bit. And since the MLB draft is the Super Bowl of player comparisons, um, yeah. what, what kind of guy is Quinn Priester? Like As you're thinking about what kind of pitcher he might be when he reaches the bigs, what kind of guy is he?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't have a great comp for him, but I, I can tell you what kind of pitcher he is. I mean, he's—you know, he might be the first high school pitcher taken. It's either him or probably a kid named Matt Allen from Florida. I, I keep coming back to the Pirates at number 18 for, for Quinn, and he's definitely going to go in the first round. And I mean, he kind of does it all. He's got a four-seam fastball to 97, a two-seamer that scouts like even more because it's got exceptional movement to the pitch. He's got one of the better curveballs in the high school class. It's got spin and depth. Um, he hasn't really thrown much of a changeup, but he, he's a great athlete. Um real good feel for pitching. So people think that'll come. They think he'll throw a lot of strikes. You know, super athletic. Um, he was a wide receiver in DB on, on Kerry Grove. I think they were the 6A state champions in the fall.
1: So Samarja, um, how do you not go Samarja if he's I, a wide you know, receiver? Well,
0: you know why I did not want to go Samarja <laughs> is because uh, – his, uh, his advisor is his Jeff's brother, and I just think that's <laughs> uh, too. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you could you could do that. I mean, and there was a story on The Athletic yesterday where they mentioned that Sam was kind of drawn to Quinn because he, he kind of saw a little bit of Jeff in him. So you, you could go Samarja if you want. I, I will say, and this is no knock on Jeff, I mean, Jeff at the time was um, – Obviously, big-time wide receiver going to Notre Dame. And, and even coming out of Notre Dame when the Cubs paid him a bunch of money, he was he was kind of raw on the mound. And Quinn Priester is super polished. I mean, he's more polished at 18 than Jeff was at, at 21 when that, he came out of Notre Dame.
2: That's an important point. It really is. Hey, uh, Jim, we appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. Look forward to seeing you. I think it's, it's at 5 o'clock locally on Monday where you'll be a part of that MLB show uh, on the on the station.
0: Yeah, that's the the, the we do an hour of, of pregame, if you call it pregame, and then the mm. draft begins at six central, and then day two, um, Jonathan Mayo and, and Scott Braun and I will be breaking down literally every pick from rounds three through ten as they fire at us uh, like about a minute apart. So that'll mm. be on. Um, I think that's just a web only broadcast, but that'll that, that's almost tougher than day one.
2: Nobody does it better than Jim Callis. Thanks for taking some time out making us sound just a little bit more knowledgeable on what's going on here. Thanks, Jim.
0: You're welcome. Anytime, Bruce and Matt. I'm happy to come on the show, uh, listen to it all the time, and uh, glad to help out.
2: Appreciate it. Jim Callis, MLB.com. Follow him, at Jim Callis, on Twitter. And uh, the fact that uh, he is so immersed in uh, the development of minor league players and uh, the draft He's just so good. We're lucky to have him as a, a friend and a guy that lives in the Chicago area as well.
1: I, I love that. Uh, a week after Kevin Biggio and Vlad Guerrero Jr. become the first two sons of Hall of Famers to ever play together, we got Bobby Witt Jr. here as the number two pick in the draft. Right. Mike Yastrzemski debuted this past week for San Francisco. It's pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, it is, and uh, I think Witt. Uh, both Wits are going to be in the top uh, four or five uh, picks. Uh, which would be unprecedented as well. I think the Greve family, uh, Tom and Ben Greve, were the last uh, number one picks uh, in the top, 6 or 7 I believe. The bottom
1: of the hour was brought to you by Subway. Subway restaurants feature a different 6-inch sub for 379 every day. Subway, make it what you want. At participating restaurants, additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Cleveland Indians manager Terry Francona is on the show next hour.
2: And why has attendance dropped in Major League Baseball? We'll explore that
1: next on Inside the Clubhouse. It is inside the clubhouse right here on 670 The Score. I'm going to talk about you, Darvish, with you, Bruce Levine. But I'm intrigued because attendance is down. Home runs are up like crazy. Record number of home runs in the month of May. Right. Most home runs in any month in the history of baseball. But
2: 1,120.
1: Yeah, I think they got to 1,135 by the end of last night. Yeah,
2: it's it's like a calculator. You need a calculator on your phone just to keep going and adding and um let, let's talk about that just for a second okay as we uh near the break and then of course uh terry francona manager of the indians the next hour your phone calls as well at 312-644-6767 um home runs boring um, boring. In terms every of every home run's four hundred plus feet now, it's pre, it's pretty amazing, right? The,
1: it, the average the average guys is four hundred. Guys feet.
2: get jammed. They hit home runs now. Mm-hmm. Okay, home runs, walks, strikeouts is is this part of the problem for Major League Baseball? Absolutely. You know, and the fact that the ball is uh, anybody you talk to, Matt, and I know you talked to a lot of people when you're at the ballpark, and your sources will tell you that the ball is as tight as a drum and it is going out like a golf ball. We know that. Is that good for the game or not? I mean, again, uh, if we see five or six guys hit 50 home runs this year, is that uh, that exciting? Is that good? Or is that a product of being manipulated by Major League Baseball and what they think they want?
1: Well, it'd be kind of crazy to intentionally manipulate for more home runs when home runs have risen the way they have just about every season over the last decade. When you've got a three-outcome sport that's going that way and there's a lot of smart people who know that fewer balls in play is not a good thing. You know, to, to make the ball even more rabbit. Is, right. Well, a home is run so, is
2: home runs not a ball and play. No, it isn't. Yeah.
1: In terms of activity. So, no, I don't think a home run itself is intrinsically boring whatsoever, but it's fast and then it's done as opposed to a right. rally and tension and such. I
2: mean, the, the Cubs would have zero runs scored in the last five or six days, you know, except for last night they produced one. But almost all their runs are, lately have been home runs, right? Mm-hmm. So, from from that perspective – you know we talked about you know the cubs changing their idea and trying to you know hit the ball and spray all over which they did very well for i while. think for the first you know 5 or 6 weeks but my perspective is is that now with the weather warming up that this you know 1135 is going to get passed in june july and august because of the fact that it's warm weather now which is hitters weather and the ball is just going to fly so Uh, You know, again, if you believe that the ball is a different ball, is it incumbent upon Major League Baseball to give you a different baseball?
1: Well, to your point, um, it's the most in any April in history, followed by the most in any May in history. In 2017, when they set the record for most home runs, that that was not the most in any April or the most in any May. So they're on pace to shatter that record by a ton in this particular year.
2: Uh, I love the home run as much as anybody I used to me that was like, man, a guy can hit a ball 420 feet, do it on a semi-regular basis. Sure. I mean, this is, this is the coolest thing in the game. Not so much anymore.
1: Well, with the home runs comes the strikeouts and the acceptability and also comes the walks. And with all of that, all of that is added up to the most efficient way for an organization to teach and win baseball games, but not the most entertaining way.
2: Right. Now I like Rizzo. I like Baez. And I like um, um, Bryant as far as them being complete players. Those are, those are fun guys to watch and they're not just home run hitters. Okay. Uh, We're seeing, you know, guys develop on, on the White Sox as well. Mankata is going to hit his share of home runs. He's not just a home run hitter. Will Jimenez just be a home run hitter? We don't know that yet. He's still early forms of development. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, again, the one-dimensional guys are the guys that bother me.
1: Understood. And, and that's the way this, this, this game has gone, As it used to be, talked about some of this with Scott Putsednik last week, used to be you got your boppers in the middle of your order and then your, your, your slappy guys at the top and maybe at the bottom. Now everybody's being asked to be everything you got to be a home run hitter for your first two strikes, and you have to be a slapper with two strikes on you. It's hard for everybody to be everything.
2: Steve, Joe, Bob, will try to get to you before Terry Francona in the next hour. Your calls always welcome. 312-644-6767. Text Matt at 670-11. It's inside the clubhouse on 670 The Score.
0: Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.